Hello, everyone, and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast, a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, mainly focusing on the lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland. However, at times, we expand into cases from anywhere in the world and all ones that are well-known, just like last week when we covered Sarah Everard, Rachel. That's a little bit well-known. Absolutely. And it tends to be me that that uh, covers the big cases, doesn't it? You like to keep it uh, OG. Sometimes. Ugly OG. Um, so, as as we are a true crime podcast, listener caution is always advised. And today we go into detail about violence, assault, and sexual assault. There will be oh, very... Lovely. Yes, there will be various trigger points throughout the episode for some people, so please be aware of this. Welcome if you... to our pod, guys. Yeah, welcome to our pod. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, and if you have the capability, give us a rating and review as well. It means the world to us. If you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon. We currently only have one tier, and that is set at £1 a month. We release bonus content every month. And a massive shout out to Julie Davis, who has become our latest patient supporter and has joined her Picture the Scene family, Rachel. Whoop, whoop. Thanks, Julie. Welcome, Julie. Massively well, massively thankful we are. That sounds like Yoda. Um, the right, right. No, you've got to edit that part out. I'm not having any Star Wars references in my pod. Okay. Yes, boss. <laughs> yes, boss. Um, <laughs> probably won't know. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com forward slash scene pod. That's P A T R E O N dot com forward slash S C E N E P O D. So, Rachel, how have you been? What's new in your life? Just before we get into that, I kind of feel like we should employ one of those um, people in America that speed up the terms and conditions right at the end of an advert uh, that really covers the bulk of that, because that is a lot. Um, it's only four yeah, paragraphs. It is, it is only four paragraphs, and it's all really, really useful content. Um, I, I jest, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I've been good, thanks. Uh, lots going on. Exciting start to 2023. How about you? Yeah, yeah, good, good also. Sparkly. Sparkling, yeah, sparkling, always. Um, Has Jet? Yeah. He's been bit last time we chatted. Yeah, he's fine. His scab's almost come off and he's... He's healing and he's he's all he's all good. Thank you very much. He's asleep. Oh, he's a, he's asleep now. Oh great! So we can do this undisturbed. Yes, I've been right now. I've been writing some pretty content-heavy episodes recently, so I've sought to look for some lighter, less intense media to balance it out. And I wanted to share one with you, Rachel, and the listeners out there, in case they wanted a laugh and a little bit of a change. So the podcast is hosted by Georgie and Nia who describe themselves as two feminists in their 20s, and they hold a podcast called Diary of a Horny Teenager. Now, despite its name, it's not what you think it is. It is actually hilarious, as they read back Georgie's actual diary she wrote as a teenager. And now I loved it so much, I listened to the first six episodes back-to-back without realising, and it did make me literally laugh out loud. So if you need a laugh, and you, you want to move away from true crime for... Half an hour, an hour, go and give it a listen. That's called Diary of a Horny Teenager. 
of it. And they, those diary entries wouldn't have even been written with the intention of, you know, 20 plus years later, uh, hosting a podcast. I mean, I'm, I'm massively assuming their age is there. But um, no, I'll go and give it a listen and be mindful not to be listening in public spaces because there is nothing worse than not having your phone on, like in a pocket, <clears throat> having your earphones in and laughing in public yes. and then realising that you can't even pretend like you're laughing at, at someone's joke on the phone or something. Exactly, yeah, no, I, I don't like that. But I, t- I try not to go out in public anyway, so. <laughs> so, last week, you brought, you brought us, Rachel, probably the most high-profile case we've ever had. So this week, I'm going to go the opposite way and bring one I'm sure most people haven't heard of. So, are you ready for it? Are you ready for some true crime? Absolutely. Right, then let's get on to it then. If it's safe you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'd like to take us to the 3rd of July, 2017. To the city of Leicester, which is in the Midlands of England. The East Midlands to be exact. And at this time in 2017, it was home to around 350,000 people. Now it's a vibrant, multicultural and multifaceted city which can be dated back to the year 924 and historically has been associated with the manufacture of textiles and clothes. So these days, it's probably known for its football club, along with the many many cultural activities that take place, one being its Diwali Festival, which is the largest one held in the world outside of India. Did you know that? Oh, wow. I did not know that. That's really interesting. On the day I want to focus on, though, Rachel, there was no festival. There was nothing to celebrate for one person. Now, I'd like to take his all to the late evening, 19th fact of the 3rd of July, to around 11.30pm. Now, I'd like to take us to a parking lesson called Victoria Park, and it was a night that will stay with someone forever, to say a cliché for all the wrong reasons. On that night, it was dry, a gentle southeasterly breeze of around five kilometres an hour, a partial moon with some cloud cover, but not so much that it would be totally dark, and the temperature was around 13 degrees Celsius, which is around 55 degrees Fahrenheit. Now, I'd like to introduce you, Rachel, to Charlie Pierce. Charlie was, at the time, 17. In fact, on that exact day, the 3rd of July, it was his 17th birthday. And while he was not legally old enough to drink alcohol, he had been out for a few drinks in the city centre of Leicester with his uncle. Now, around 10.30 that evening, so an hour before the crime was to take place, Charlie was sat outside a Clarendon Inn at a table provided by the pub. Now, the Clarendon Inn is a sports pub that specialises in food and appeals to a younger clientele. As the 3rd of July was a Monday, the pub was closing at 11pm, so Charlie's uncle left the pub looking for Charlie, and when he saw him sat outside, he told him he was going, going to go home. Charlie replied and told him he, he was waiting for a friend that would go to the nearby Victoria Park to buy some cannabis, he'd smoke some with his friend, and then go back to his dad's house. So well, he's quite open with his uncle then. Yeah, so even though Charlie had been drinking, he wasn't drunk though, Rachel. No, but I think um, that's quite admirable, isn't it? <clears throat> to to like be open and say, 
I'm just going to go meet my friend. I'm going to smoke a couple of joints and then I'll see dad later. Exactly. Like yeah. So, as you say, he wasn't drunk and he, he didn't, he never hid the fact that he smoked drugs because his family did too. And oh, right. Okay. Well, that makes more sense. And he was waiting for a friend uh, before he went to buy them. So his uncle thought he'd be fine. And he left him and he went home. So little did his uncle know that Charlie wasn't waiting on a friend. He wasn't planning on buying any drugs. He he was, in fact, waiting and hoping he could put into action a plan he had developed that he wanted to do on his birthday. So after all, Rachel, if you can't do what you want on your birthday, when can you? Okay. Not quite sure where this is going now, but uh, there I was like a few seconds ago saying, I admired him. I'm not quite sure I do now. What seems a bit sinister. Maybe. So so what do you think was on young Charlie's mind, Rachel? What did he want to do that had him sat there outside the pub on a Monday evening, his birthday? Maybe go pick up a cake from Tesco. Some Twin. candles. Twin. Share share. Yeah, share when, when he gets home. Why not? Have the munchies. Exactly. So the title of this episode is Animalistic Savagery. Oh god. And what Charlie and what Charlie was doing was just that he was on the hunt. Just like an animal would hunt his prey, but animals hunt for food, not cake, but food. And Charlie wasn't hungry. So what was he hunting, Rachel? Uh, Sex? Well, in a way, he was hunting a woman. Good. Oh. Not a particular individual. This wasn't some delusional attempt at revenge or anything similar. He just wanted a woman, and the only type he had in mind was one that he knew he could overcome. Oh, wow. So he'd been sitting outside the pub, like, scoping out the landscape. Well, just like an animal, he knew he needed cover. So he knew he needed to hide while he found the victim. He could attack. So he took himself to the nearby Victoria Park, which was only two streets away, Rachel. About a 10-minute walk, according to Google Maps. And on his way, he picked up a concrete paving slab, which was his weapon of choice. So with his weapon, he walked around the park looking for his prey. Victoria Park wasn't brightly lit, but it wasn't without some form of lighting. So with it being partially lit, it provided the perfect place to hunt and to attack. So just before 11.30, he saw his victim. Now, I don't have a name or age or anything else, as her, as her identity was hidden to protect her, as is a norm in the UK in attacks like this. So we're going to call her Jenny, just for the purpose of the story. Okay. What we do know is that Jenny was a female student studying at the University of Leicester. So her age would most likely be between 18 and around 22 or 23. That's a normal age for students. So Jenny hadn't been out drinking. She had just spent a quiet evening with friends at one of their homes and was walking home. As Charlie saw her with the paving slab under his arm, he gave chase. Though there was nothing to chase because Jenny hadn't seen him coming behind her. So she wasn't running away. She was still just walking on the way home, a journey she'd done countless times before. Now, as Charlie reached her, he didn't call out. He didn't threaten her. 
he'd hurt her if she didn't comply, he simply lifted up the concrete paving slab and brought it down on her, he on her head. Not once, not twice, not even three times, Rachel, but several times. My God, the strength that he must have needed to do that. Well, it wasn't, like, a, it wasn't a massive one. Yeah, but still, to, to, to blow the blows to her body, yeah. like, must have been, like, you know, um, what's it called, um, reverberating in his body when he was hitting her. And, like, if he did it several times as well, I mean, surely she couldn't have stayed up. So he must have been, like, hunched over her as well. Like, yeah, he, he was a, a man a good, on a mission. That's a good point. He was. Now, as he was doing this, what he didn't know was that three teenage boys were in the park, in a kids' play in a kids' play area nearby, and as they saw the beginning of the attack, they knew it was serious, and they phoned a police up. Oh, thank God! Phoned nine nine nine, and they demanded a police car arrive immediately. But then they what van time of night was this? This was at eleven thirty. Eleven thirty. So they were. Okay. They were, they were God, those teenagers were being reprobates. Yes. Um, so they did vanish. So after they phoned up and they, after they made sure the police car was arriving straight away, they vanished. Probably yeah. because okay. they were doing something they shouldn't be doing. They were smoking weed, yeah. But in, in I don't know. But in their heads, they were safe in the knowledge that they'd alerted the emergency services and had been assured, yeah. and had been assured the police were on the way immediately. Which, oh, well done, lads. Yeah, which the police were on the way immediately. But Charlie mm. wasn't aware of them seeing him or, no. the or the immediate arrival of the police. So he didn't stop his attack. Now, after he had hit her several times in the head with the paving slab, now confident she couldn't escape, he dragged her into some nearby bushes to continue the attack. Oh, what a so, vile human being. Yeah, so while hor horrible... At least we can think, oh, it's a relief the police are on their way, wouldn't you say, Rachel? Yeah, I would have said that, but now that you've highlighted it, I'm thinking that they aren't on their way. No, they are. The police did arrive very quickly. But like, they can't like find almost them. immediately. Yeah, but they didn't have an accurate location of where in a park, and the victim was now quiet, unable to scream. So they looked and they eventually gave up. Assuming that the no. emergency call was a hoax. They were so close. Yes, they were. So what they didn't know was that nearby Charlie was raping Jenny multiple times in the bushes, so close to where they were. So once he had done that, satisfied, he'd fulfilled his birthday wish to himself, he stole her handbag and he left her, semi-conscious, bleeding, with life-threatening and life-changing head injuries. Uh, Jenny couldn't get up. Jenny couldn't go for help. She couldn't even call. Even if she was in a fit say to make a phone call, her phone call was in a handbag, and he'd stolen her handbag. So what, what she didn't know was that she didn't want to die. So let's get forward to around an hour after the attack first started, and let me introduce you to another female student. This time we have a name because she wasn't a victim of any crime. I'm just putting that there straight away. Thankfully, she wasn't a victim. So Sarah was on her bike and riding home through Victoria Park when she felt her wheels go over something. <gasps> now, now, not wanting to have a puncture, as she was worried, 
She'd, she would walk, she'd just ridden over some glass. She stopped to examine the tyres of her bike. As she did, she noticed a pool of blood on the path, a hair clip, and the item she'd run over, a pair of glasses. Oh, my God. That, that would be harrowing, wouldn't it? Yeah. She then heard a noise. It was a very slight noise, but a noise still. The noise was Jenny trying with all her might to shout for help, but she couldn't. We have to give credit to Sarah here, as she didn't know what was in the bushes, and had obviously just come across evidence of violence, so she could have run or just phoned the police and waited, but she didn't. She knew she had to go into the bushes, and go into them she did. To me, I just think that's the ultimate sign of bravery, because... She did. You she, could still be in there. Exactly. She saw signs of violence. She didn't know yeah. what it was. But if you see a pool of blood, yeah, then you think. And if you're a woman by yourself, and she was a student as well, I just think but that's also, so brave. How often do we see it when the criminal is holding the victim hostage, saying, "Do not scream and yes. like keep quiet," and you know that woman's going to enter into that scenario unarmed. Um, but just because of her, like, curiosity and not wanting to, you know, leave somebody there. Oh, what a woman. So when she went into the bushes, she found Jenny, semi-conscious, covered in her own blood, with her skirt pulled up and her tights and underwear around her knees, then a very obvious victim of a horrible attack. She immediately did her best to comfort Jenny while phoning emergency services, Calling for an ambulance. But I bet they felt, bet the police felt bad when that call came in. Probably, yeah, when they found out. So when the ambulance arrived, such was the severity of the attack, the ambulance technician, Sandra Merrigan, said that years of training on the, and on the job experience couldn't prepare her for what she saw when she arrived. She immediately phoned the police and for additional medical backup, which were called straight away by Sandra. Wow and her team. So Jenny was rushed to the local hospital, the Leicester Royal Infirmary, to get immediate treatment. She had several numerous injuries, including but not limited to a depressed fracture of her right skull, major brain hemorrhaging, and the medical staff feared she was in danger of coning. Now coning I had to look this up, Rachel. Do you know what coning, it, coning is? I've heard of it, but I don't. I can't think right yeah. now. So coning is when pressure and swelling increases in someone's head and causes a death because the brain is pushed due to the swelling mm. and pressure through a small opening at the base of the skull where it meets the spinal cord. Now, so the brain's basically pushed out of the head because of the swelling. Medical mm. treatment can help the build-up of this pressure, but it's not always successful, even when mm. identified early, and the patient can still die. So Imagine knowing that as well, being yeah. in, in her care, being in a safe space in the hospital and still not knowing how it's going to play out. So that's not, let's be straight here, Rachel. Jenny was dying. Mm. Be, because of a serious medical condition, medical condition, the doctors put her into a medically induced coma to try and help her and they transferred her to the more specialist hospital, the Queen's Medical Centre in the nearby city of Nottingham. So again, just to be clear on this, Jenny should have died. Most people do within a similar situation or even a better situation. 
But because she received the uppermost medical care that was possible, two weeks after being put into the coma, she regained consciousness, which is why we don't have a name or identifying features, because you can't can't blame her for not wanting to be identified. Absolutely not. Now, once she woke up, she could remember nothing of her ordeal. Oh, no. So how did they capture Charlie if she'd been in a coma for two weeks and then couldn't remember anything? Those teenage boys have a description, maybe, and he was caught on CCTV at the time, like, lining things up. Well, yeah, well, the police knew how serious this was. In all honesty, they expected to be dealing with a murder inquiry eventually. Mm. So they so they got to work straight away, treating it like a murder inquiry. They examined the area and looking to see if there was any useful CCTV in the surrounding area. Now, luckily for them, not only did the park have CCTV in it, and while it didn't capture the attack, it did capture Charlie running along a path with the concrete slab under his arm towards the attack. Now, because of a perfect combination, you don't hear this often, of the CCTV distance from a streetlight and him passing at exactly the right spot underneath the streetlight, they managed to capture a really clear image of him. The following day, a local newspaper released this image on their website and in their print newspaper. So immediately, Charlie's father his stepmother, his uncle, and other members of the family knew it was him. Wow. Because the picture was clear. So they confronted him. He stuck to the story he told his uncle the night before, that he'd been in the park, but only to buy some cannabis. He had nothing to do with the attack. Now, his family wasn't convinced, so his father phoned the police straight away to tell them that the person they were looking for was his son. At around 10pm on the 4th, the day after, the police arrived at his family home and arrested Charlie. Wow. That's some police work, isn't it? It's some police work. And also, fair play to the dad, because a lot of time you read and you hear that, or they they did. Oh, yeah. They they tried to help them maybe get away or hide before they even told the police or didn't tell the police anything. But he phoned the police. Yeah, buried their heads in the sand. He confronted his son. And then when his son gave lies to him, he just phoned the police. I think as well, like, it's got to be said, there are multiple cameras and hours of work that go into finding these images that are displayed only 24 hours after an attack. Like, so many people behind the scenes are involved in getting that out there in such a short space of time. It's really impressive, isn't it? Well, a lot less, about 12 hours to be exact, but yeah. Right, Um, yeah. So... Charlie had attempted to dispose of his blood-stained clothes and burn Jenny's handbag, but the police found them when they started searching his home and the surrounding area. So the blood on his clothes he tried to throw away was Jenny's blood. The semen they'd recovered from Jenny was Charlie's semen. When they searched his phone forensically, they discovered that in the weeks up to the attack, he'd been accessing websites that depicted anal rape and sexual violence towards women he'd been planning his attack so this was the first time he had registered on the criminal yes with a criminal record as well yes fucking hell excuse my language but how often do we hear in press releases we are looking for someone experienced um this is an attack that's been performed by somebody 
um that knows what they're doing and you, you do you know what i mean like yeah, the, I do. the police pretty much say that no one escalates from zero to rape and attempted murder in in without there being a step in the middle and a 17 year old boy at that just 17 yeah, yeah. so the, the cctv it would show him circling the park looking for someone to attack so it's clear charlie was guilty and it was also clear that this was premeditated so charlie pled not guilty initially but will later change his pleas so he pled guilty to two counts of rape, one count of robbery, but not guilty to one count of attempted murder. The trial, sorry. No, sorry, I'm just shaking my head that like he, that there was an intent there to sear off. I can't believe yeah. it. The trial, yeah, I personally believe he tried to kill her, but we'll never know. Um, the trial took three days to be concluded, and the jury took three hours to find him guilty of attempted murder. Wow. The judge would sentence him to life imprisonment with a minimum term of 11 years for the attempted murder and seven and a half years each for the rapes. But as is usual in England, he was, he was to serve them concurrently. So he basically got a life with 11 years minimum. He wasn't given any additional term for the robbery. Now, it's worth noting that rather chillingly, when he was being sentenced, Charlie was smirking and laughing as the judge spoke, showing no remorse whatsoever. Oh, my God. This kid. it Like, because that's what he is. He's a kid. Would yeah. he have gone to juvenile prison? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, you, over you, 16, you go to mainstream? No. I don't know. He, he was a couple of years later, wasn't in juvenile, but I don't know if he was straight away. I'm not sure, oh, to tell the truth. Um, the judge would go on to describe the attack as animalistic savagery, hence the name of this episode. As he was 17 when he was tried, he would be eligible for automatic protection of his identity. But the press requested the order to be lifted. Now, Rachel, in a coincidence here, the judge was the same judge who presided over the trial of Lucas Markham and Stano and Kim Edwards. Do you remember from the Patient episode? The two people that yeah. killed? So yeah. A, it was the same judge. Now, wow. You know, in his summing up, he actually referenced that trial and the fact that he'd released their names as part of the justification why he was releasing Charlie's name too. His main reason being the same so that open justice could be seen to have occurred. Now, just to quickly summarise, because I find these things fascinating, just to quickly summarise the open justice principle for our listeners, this relates to England and Wales at least, is that the administration of justice must be done in public. The public and media have a right to attend all court hearings and the media to report on those hearings fully. Any restrictions to the open justice rule must be exceptional and of necessity. The burden has to be on the party seeking the restriction, not on the party asking for it not to happen, to prove why it is. And the terms of the order must be proportionate, not going further than is necessary. So this is why we don't know the details of the victim, because it was necessary to yeah. keep, keep those private. But the judge was basically ruling without reading. I'm not going to read several pages of his reasons here. I'd love to, but mm. I will send our listeners to sleep. That to let the media let the media report on this without any names whatsoever would lead to a disconnect with the public. 
So a loss mm -hmm. of interest and also potentially a loss of reporting, which would mean that the public couldn't see open justice being done. So even though Charlie was under 18, the seriousness of the crime meant the public needed to know that justice had been done, which is why he released his name. What so, man? Yeah, and I so. think that's really important, isn't it? Because that victim, while she doesn't obviously want to be out there, and she might change her mind in future, but that needs to be on her terms if she does, he has committed an awful crime. And not only that on a Monday night, but it was premeditated. So putting his name out there almost, you know, helps in future if when he is released that you know this man was once a danger to society because he might be rehabilitated in prison and you know go on to um apologize and um be you know um oh what's the word remorseful remorseful yeah for for his actions but as you know likewise he may well pull a wool over someone's eyes and you know behave in a really awful manner again so no I, I think it's important that we name him in this case and not yeah. not keep him behind um closed doors exactly and so jenny now remember that's not her real name she gave an emotional written statement here is a quote from it from a part of it i do not remember screaming when i was assaulted Though I am aware this, that screams were reported to the police by various people that night. She's talking about the teenagers here. My screams mm. did not stop my attacker from causing me further harm, and nor did they help me be found so I could receive medical care I needed. Knowing that my screams did not change anything for me that night continues to trouble me. I guess I it's home because she it just makes it shows that she still feels helpless. Mm. That she couldn't do anything to help herself. Now, well, what's the one piece of advice that you're given if you're in trouble? Scream, alert, yeah, alert, other yes. people. Yeah, and uh, and that is using your voice. Yeah, you know, she could have had a, a rape alarm on her, and that would have emitted like sounds that obviously would have caused the teenagers to do exactly the same thing. But you know. Yeah, that must just be awful for her, knowing that it didn't matter because he had her where he wanted her and the police left the scene without um, finding her. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Now, I've been saying this far too often recently, Rachel, but the story does not end there. So let's skip forward a couple of years, shall we, to September of 2019, and Charlie was in HMP Woodhill in Milton Keynes, and he was 19 by now. He disagreed with a prison officer who told him to do something in the prison. So he punched him in the jaw, shattering his jaw. So he would be charged with grievous bodily harm. He would plead guilty, and he'd have an additional 18 months added to his sentence. Now, I wanted to add that in because you think, well, it's not really relevant to the story, but I think it is because, and only in my opinion here, I think it shows the mentality of the person because of Charlie. Because if you think about it, he would have been told by his legal team, get your head down, behave in prison, and you'll be out before you're 30 years old. And you've still got a life to lead after that. But 
if you combine that with how he behaves in his sentencing, laughing and, and, and smirking, it shows, it shows that he's probably, in some part, a psychopath, in my opinion, anyway. Mm, potentially damaged by all the weed intake or, you know, un, unresolved matters in the family home when he was growing up that led him to be so violent. But you're absolutely right, two years in prison away from the drugs and away from you know the television potentially that and the video games and all the other things that these children claim lead them to commit such awful brutal crimes and yet he's still committing acts of violence against prison officers like the ultimate authority in a jail you can understand if it was an inmate they'd be winding him up he'd just lash out for a fucking guard Yes. So, yeah, that, if he can't control himself, so he behaves and gets out as early as possible inside prison. Yeah, exactly. So what did you think of this one in general, Rach? I just can't believe that a 17-year-old male would go out of his way to plan something so awful on his birthday as a present to himself. And then, on top of that, the fact that he executed the plan so coldly and calmly and probably went home that evening and you know the next day didn't even break a sweat tried to protest his innocence with his family and then laughs in court like that in itself is just awful however how amazing that that woman survived and i hope that she's not left with I appreciate there will be so much emotional scarring, but I hope that she's not left with too many visible scars that other people see, because I think that that would just, um, you know, be be something that um, it just like adds insult to injury. But um, but yeah, what a woman, and and that that other woman that that saved her life essentially. How amazing is that? There are definitely like some lovely parts of this awful story. Yeah, she did have, from what I can gather, she did have life-changing injuries. They didn't say what, obviously, because you'd be able to identify yeah. them. But but yeah, no, I agree. And also, just probably, yeah, one last thing, because the police, they implied, obviously they couldn't prove anything, that they thought that he didn't take a handbag to steal it to for financial gain. He took it actually as a trophy. And then um didn't even think of that. Yeah, then tried to destroy it when maybe he got cold feet or his parents spoke to him. But that is chilling to me because it that to me makes me think he probably planned to do this more than once. He'd have gone on to do it again. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I prob- and that's also why I think he he probably left her for dead. Assuming that she would die. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. At the time, I thought he was taking it just to minimise the risk of her calling anyone. But uh, I never even thought of it being a trophy. It just adds to the awful story, doesn't it? It does, yes. So Nasty piece of work. I'm going to wrap up now, Ray. So this has been season two, episode 15, called Animalistic Savagery. And for one last time, if it's safe you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. You have a relative or friend who is a teenage boy. It's his birthday coming up. 
and you see a sparkle in his eye when you're asking what he wants for his birthday. Just what exactly is he thinking about? So thank you all for listening. And until next time, it's a goodbye from me. Bye from me. And we'll see you real soon. Bye, guys. Thank you.